The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As we constantly move forward, there is a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow if you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. I am Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host. And Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. And you can follow live tweeting of the show, ask questions, or make comments about the show during the program on Twitter at hashtag bigbeacon. Our first segment is sponsored by the book that is Transforming Higher Education, A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education at WholeNewEngineer.org. It's not just for engineers anymore. And today we're, we're blessed and I'm enthusiastic to finally uh, uh, speak uh, in person to um, w- one of my entrepreneurial heroes uh, and authors, uh, Peter Sims. Uh, welcome to the show, Peter. Oh, thank you so much, Dave. Great to be here. Well, it's really great to have you here, and, and I think the, some of your thinking is really important to some of the things that people are trying to do, not just in higher education, but the, um, the world that we live in. And on the show, we like to, before we jump into kind of cognitive and thought leadership stuff, we like to get to know people a little bit more personally. And so, Peter, you've, you've been a best-selling author. You've been a, a venture capitalist. You're an entrepreneur. You're a CEO. You're really hard to pigeonhole, but let's uh, hop in the, back in the time machine. And, and what were some of the key influences early um, that put you on your current path? Well, yeah, thanks, Dave. Uh, the, the path has really been invented, and I never thought of myself as creative. I really admire the work you're doing to try to bring more of a creative mindset into the field of education, because as a, as a kid, I just never thought of myself as creative. And it wasn't until in my early 30s when I got exposed to design thinking through the Stanford mm. Design School when I thought, holy cow, you can just use a set of creative methods like prototyping and rapid iteration to not only think about creating products, not only think about creating company, but also think about inventing a life. And so until I was about 30, I had a very conventional career path, including venture capital. But then uh, the people who I learned design from, Mm. uh, including people like George Kemble, who was one of the co-founders of the school, really opened me up to a whole new way of approaching life. And uh, since then, for about the past, you know, say 10 years, it's just been one step after another, building upon the other, first with books, uh, then with, with ventures to try to make a contribution to the world. 
So I, that's probably a long-winded answer to your question. But oh, it's a great answer. Easier. It's a great answer to the question, and and it's and it's so interesting. You know, we we talk a lot about mindset, and it's important, and the the story we tell about ourselves as being important. And here, there's this long delay where you don't think of yourself as being inventive or creative, and now that's exactly what you're doing. That sounds like a fairly big shift. Um, and, and I, we, yeah, big shift. And in the book, in Whole New Engineer, we talk about unleashing experiences. Uh, sometimes there's a story where the light bulb goes off or, or, or something something happens where there's a realization that something can be different and there's a sudden shift. Sometimes it's, it, it's not always sudden, um, but in the book we talk about unleashing experiences where somehow someone trusts us to do something that we might not otherwise do or we learn to trust ourselves to do something that we might not otherwise do. And we have the courage to go off on an uncharted path. And certainly over the last 10 years, you've been doing that. So are, are there unleashing experiences or people that, that you can call out as having helped you uh, make that shift? Absolutely. And, you know, I would just I agree with all of what you said. I think when we're young, we're taught to uh, get good grades and to be good athletic achievers and basically focus yeah. on achievement. That was certainly how yeah. I was raised. Yeah. And, you know, my nickname in high school was that my tennis coach gave me was Patches because I was always aspiring for our team to win the league title so we could get another patch for our Letterman jackets. Yes. And, you know, that's a, very, that's a very shallow existence compared to when you really tap into, you know, your, your deepest inspiration. Um, and your deepest artistry, and I think everybody has that. And so I've been very fortunate to have come across people who, who like George Kemble, who I mentioned before, taught me yes. how to do things like make prototypes and rapidly experiment with things and, and learn to frame problems before solving them and develop the basic creative mindset that we all have the capacity to, to utilize. And then I think beyond that, it's surrounding surrounding yourself with people who are who, who are going to be able to be supportive or who get it. So my friends over the past 10 years have largely been uh, entrepreneurs or artists or people who really get that it may take a few years before something works out and who aren't always comparing, uh, you know, the size of their house or something or what have you, uh, which can, can happen all too often. I mean, we yes. don't live in a culture, and there, by the way, aren't many cultures around the world where you get permission to try things and, and fail and have setbacks uh, along the, the journey towards invention. And so you have to be very conscious about who you're spending time with. Uh, at least that's been my experience. Yeah, that's really an interesting point. And, and when we talk to people who are trying to make change initiatives in higher ed, we say, you know, a lot of times there's this attempt to get people to buy in to the crazy stuff that you want to do. And, and I just always tell people that that's a mistake. Go, go do it. And if they're going to change their minds, it's actually going to, you're going to change their hearts first with the results of something cool that you do. You're not going to really change, change their minds. So you need to surround yourself with people that are thinking similarly and, and, uh, and, and aren't shocked by the lack of, um, uh, the lack of a plan. So it's a funny realization to have that, you know, most professions still, whether it's engineering where you're one of the experts or the law 
my dad was a, a yep. judge, uh, or venture capital where I worked before going down this less conventional path. The mindset in those professions is does not reward, you know, inductive thinking or non-logical, rational thinking. And so, you know, it was a great irony when I left my venture capital firm, which had offered me a, a partner track. And I think people were really surprised that I didn't come back to the firm. Instead, decided to become an author, act, you know, kind of by accident, but become an author with Bill George on this book, True North. Yes. And it took years for them to really understand what the hell I was doing. And what, why would you leave a very lucrative career path like uh, venture capital was a constant question I got. And, and then, you know, I went to the, ended up going after Little Bets came out to their annual meeting and their strategy session because they're trying to change. And they needed somebody to help them think outside the box. So that was rewarding to be able to go back and share with them just a, a bit of a different mindset than the one uh, they, have, they go to work with most days. Well, and it's so interesting that you know many traditional companies and professions are trying to change the world. The world be there are economic reasons why the world is different, and and people really need to be able to not necessarily uh, throw away planning and and the the kinds of things that have made the organization successful in the past, but embrace the this uh, this approach. Essentially, I, I view all of this as a as a. A, an unsystematically systematic approach to uncertainty, and and it just seems like it's just so hard for for people to do that and to realize that there are these two sides, and and that you sort of you need. It's not that the other that planning and the kinds of things that companies want to do are bad. It's just that if you're facing an uncertain world, you need to loosen up a little bit. Yeah, it would. It would. You probably talk about the mindset a lot on this show, but would it be helpful for me to just frame the the different types of mindsets that we're talking about here? Sure. Why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why not? We we do, but I, I think it's you know we never know exactly who's tuning in, and so let's let's uh, do that. So the way I see it is that you know we're taught how to think in a really logical way. We're taught how to solve known problems very well, um, which is great for handling a certain set of challenges in life and in work, what have you. What we're not given is a chance to think about how to solve problems that we don't even know about yet. We're not, yes. We don't have information. How do you solve problems? So today, most people, when they come out of college, are going to change careers, you know, probably over a dozen times yes. if you look at some of the research. And yet people come out with a skill set to be able to navigate a very linear path. So when it's not a linear world and there's a lot of uncertainty, you need to be able to think in a much more experimental way. You need to be able to say, okay, maybe, maybe this current job I'm in isn't for me. Maybe there's something else out there that is going to be for me, but I don't have any idea whether it's going to be in this for-profit, non-profit. I don't yep. know if it's going to be in this industry or that industry. So you have to be finding ways to experiment in very low-risk ways. And so the, the concept that I had for this last book is called Little Bets because you want to think about what's a very affordable loss for trying something, something that you just determine in advance. I'm going to give this amount of time or this amount of money to try something and see what happens um, without betting the farm. Yeah. And, and so the more that you're doing that as a part of your life, the more opportunities open up, uh, the more you can be piecing insights together with things you've been working on, with new problems to, 
to solve things in new ways. And, and really, it's just kind of a mindset for growth, for, for perpetual learning. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, like I say, sadly, we don't, in our traditional education, have that as the primary mission to date. You know, well, we're taught to kind of study and prepare well for testing. And it's changing slowly, but not fast enough for the pace of change in the world that we're in. Yeah, and we had a guest on the show that uh, told a story about IQ and that uh, where students thought they had enough of that, but they, in order to go into engineering and other uh, linear professions, they didn't have enough OQ, enough obedience quotient. Um, and and it seems that part of what we, you know, it's not that we are teaching people to not be obedient or not be structured in their thinking, but they, they do need to uh, be more experimental, as, as you said, and make these little bets. And I want to talk more about little bets in a minute, but you're, uh, you alluded to it before. One of uh, your, your transition from VC to uh, a thought leader author came uh, when you uh, partnered with Bill George to write one of my favorite books, True North, Discover Your Authentic Leadership. How did you get involved with that project? Completely by accident. And that's how I define myself as an author. It's just an accidental author. When I was in business school, uh, Bill George came to speak, and I met him briefly afterwards and uh, found the talk very inspiring. It was about authentic leadership, which touched a nerve because I come out of venture capital thinking, I'm going to go to business school and just try to figure out how I can do something next that's not purely about making money. I mean, that... I yeah. love working with entrepreneurs and venture capital, but to really be motivated to, to be an investor, I think you need to be motivated pretty, pretty strongly by money. And so when I heard this authenticity idea, I thought that, well, that really resonates. So we met, and a group of my classmates, were, I was at Stanford for business school. Yes. We decided to, um, because we were all motivated by his talk, we said, you know, we should try to invite Bill to come teach at Stanford on this topic of authentic leadership. How Mm. can we come out of this experience and do things in the world where we can have impact as leaders, uh, but do it in a way that's consistent with who we are as humans? And uh, there weren't a lot of leadership classes at Stanford at the time, at the business school. So uh, we got permission from the deans, invited Bill. Long story short, he said he was fully committed to teaching at Harvard Business School, but that he would be a guest if we were to create a class. So we ended up creating a class with a couple of professors there, and it's called Leadership Perspectives, all about trying to understand through the experiences of others who are willing to talk about their, especially willing to talk about their uh, failures or their, their challenges, Yes. how to um, unlock our own values and our own quote-unquote authenticity in our leadership. And that class is still, you know, it's the most popular second-year class at, at Stanford to this day. So it was, a, it was a great experience for us all. And so you, you, uh, you were involved so, in that so, class, and then how did, uh, how did you get involved in the writing of the book? So because of that, Bill just said to me, uh, because he had been creating a class at, at Harvard Business School, he said, uh, it was very similar to, to leadership perspectives. He said, yep. you know, would you be interested to co-author this book? which he and I had been working on. I mean, we basically would talk once a week about the, what we were doing in respective classes. And so it was just kind of an, a thought that, that came up. And I just, it just seemed like a really good learning experience, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And, 
indeed, because of Bill's reputation, which is very strong, uh, and because he was a Harvard Business School professor, we could interview pretty much anyone. So True North is based on interviewing 130 leaders aged 23 to 93 uh, yep. about their about their journeys, about their personal journeys, about their leadership experiences, about the key turning points that shaped them. And again, much like the classes, uh, we sought out the stories that people would share about what they learned through the hardships and the setbacks and the challenges, because that's really where you can learn the most from others' experiences. And, uh, yeah, so that we can talk more about that book if you'd like. No, and, well, I, I, there's so much to talk about, and, and, and we've only got an hour about ready to take our, our, our first of a couple of breaks. But um, I, I guess uh, let's uh, – well, actually, if let, let let's let's stay on True North for a minute. So you know, that's there's there was a lot of learning in there. And if you were to now, it's been what the book was out in two thousand seven or thereabouts, and now it's almost a decade later. As you think back, what's what's the if you were to say put in a few words a takeaway or two? And I know I'm asking something pretty hard, but what would you what would you say the big sort of takeaway or learning as you look back on on that experience and and the writing of the book and what you learned from it? For me personally, the, the learning is that when we had a chance to interview everyone from Howard Schultz to Wendy Kopp, Teach for America, to yep. you know, Donna Dubinsky, all these, these world-class known leaders. We read about in Fortune or you read in some of these magazines and they, they, they don't seem as human as they did to us. So the key lesson that I had was that all these leaders had gone through very challenging experiences that shaped them, especially through the crucibles, through the, the really challenging moments, whether it be a loss of a job or a divorce or not, not passing a, a bar exam or the types of things you don't see normally in the, in the public articles, but that that's what really humbled them, humbled, gave them self-awareness, help them to find inspiration, um, and, and, and also help them to connect with other people. So it was very much a set of lessons around the importance of finding your humanity as a leader, and uh, wow. that that process is extremely humbling and, and can be very hard. And um, so I thought back on those stories many, many times as I went through the past 10 years to, to try to, you know, create, create my own path. And it was comforting because all these big deal people uh, didn't get there easily. They, they had to go through a lot of suffering, but that that was where real self-awareness came from. It's so interesting you say that, and it it comes up on the show from time to time, but maybe not enough, but this, the whole, this whole self-awareness and um, kind of overcoming it, your gremlin and and uh, your ego and 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 the you're the word the the humility uh, that you talked about just now being so important to um, opening up opening up your life like that and just being comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. I think you know for the people, especially for people who are high achieve high achievers or have a high achievement orientation or high perfectionism, it's very hard to let go of that. And yeah. So it's often only when we get overwhelmed by life's many demands and challenges that uh, you're forced to, it seems. At least that's my impression from what I've learned. 
Yeah, beautiful. And thanks, thanks for sharing that. And why don't we let's take a break, and, I, and then I want to talk, want to shift and talk a little bit about uh, little bets with you. How's that sound? Sounds great. All right. So uh, this is uh, Big Beacon Radio, and uh, with special guest Peter Sims. And stay with us in the next segment. We're going to talk uh, some more about his 2011 book, Little Bets. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call one 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. The second segment is sponsored by 3Joy Associates at 3Joy.com. Get the training, coaching, and change leadership consultation and coaching to help transform your organization. And uh, just as a reminder, you can ask, uh, can make comments about the show at on Twitter at hashtag Big Beacon. And so we're rejoined in the second segment uh, by Peter Sims, author of Little Bets, uh, co-author of True North and CEO of uh, ParliamentInc.com. And and so, Peter, in the last segment, we were talking a little bit about um, your first writing project with Bill North on with um, um, uh, on True North. And, and um, uh, in this... I'd like to ask you a little bit about the book, Little Bets. You mentioned it um, a little bit, the idea of Little Bets, but what, and and you alluded to it somewhat, but what, what inspired uh, the writing of that book? Why did, what, why did that book need to be written and from where you were? Sure. So I had been, like I mentioned previously, I had been a pretty traditional thinker and never thought of myself as creative until I went to the Stanford Design School, which is basically the place that teaches people how to yep. think like a design thinker, uh, which is just a set of creative methods that people use to make products. Like any Apple product goes through the design process. And so design has become a very popular field thanks to Apple and thanks to uh, kind of a wave of people who've seen the value of, of using design to create products. But it can be a the mindset can be applied to anything. It can be applied sure. to, you know, thinking about your career or thinking about uh, your life, dating, you, 
name it. Um, so there are a few basic principles to design. And one of those is to develop great empathy for the people you are attempting to serve or to have as your audience. So uh, for a comedian like Chris Rock, he needs to go to a small comedy club near his house in New Jersey uh, when he's developing a new act to go every night to try a bunch of rough ideas. He needs to really understand the needs of his audience. And he can't predict which jokes are going to work or what won't until he sits there on his stool with his jeans and tells everyone, look, put away your iPhones. This is going to be very rough. I'm just working on new material. But uh, one or two ideas in the course of a set, maybe 30 minutes set will work, and then he'll keep building on that idea until it becomes a joke. And comedians will take six months to a year before they've come up with an hour's worth of material. It's through this constant iteration and testing and understanding the needs of their audience. Mm-hmm. And so the second principle kind of alluded to there is the notion of doing a lot of experimentation, doing a lot of prototyping, low-risk, low-fidelity prototyping. Uh, so just when I started working on the book, I took just a piece of paper and a two-pager, uh, and I started showing people the ideas for what I'd hoped uh, would help unlock creativity in others because I was so inspired to be have found my artistic side myself. So yes. The, the, the notion of Little Bets really kind of was born out of that. And, in fact, the title came from uh, someone who I had interviewed for True North, Ned Barnholt, and he was a longtime Hewlett-Packard senior executive, and he was one of the people I met up with when I was prototyping the ideas for the book. And I was really unsure of whether I could do a book on my own and whether I had the right ideas for a book. Uh, so I went and talked with people like Ned and said, look, Here's some pictures of things I'm thinking about, what I've learned from design. Does this resonate with you? Does this, is this something that you've seen from your perch as a senior executive? And he said to me, absolutely, this resonates. He said, in fact, it reminds me of the greatest lesson that I learned, or one of the greatest lessons I learned as a, as a senior executive at Hewlett-Packard, which is that we always made big bets on things. And it was always, uh, we would try to create a new idea based on analyzing a market from the top down. We would try to create new TVs or, or flat, you know, or uh, home monitoring or uh, areas where we knew there were billion-dollar markets. We would just try to create big initiatives with products and everything and drop down into them. Uh, and he said, we failed in all those cases. He said it was just exactly the opposite mindset from what had made Hewlett-Packard successful in the first place, in which it allowed the company to grow 18% a year for 60 years on a compounded basis. Yes. And he said that's when we made lots of little bets. So when I heard that phrase, I just jotted it down. And soon enough, people in the publishing world were interested in that concept alone. So that's where it all started. And it was a lot of pain and suffering and iteration until it became a book. But happy to see the impact it's made. Yeah, and... and um the book has so many good interviews and stories in it. You mentioned the the story about the stories about Chris Rock and the testing that he does. But what were what were some of the favorite interviews or stories that came from your research on the book? You know, I think when you when you set out and do a book like like this, it's it's a, it's a learning journey, and then you, you you have things that surprise you, and that's what yep. stands out to yep. me. 
Yep. Um, I wasn't surprised by the, 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 the examples that were out there. I mean, I was, in, I was literally standing in a bar one, one night when I heard somebody talking about how Chris Rock bombs every night to try to come up with new material. And so I went and did research after that and discovered the whole comedy process, uh, which I find completely fascinating. Um, then, then you see the same pattern across so many different areas. Uh, you see it in architecture. You know, Frank Geary, who was kind enough to, to grant me an interview, just described how every time he begins a new project, even though he's Frank Geary and arguably the most famous architect in the world right now, he's afraid he's going to fail. He's afraid that he's not going to have any ideas. he got what he calls a healthy insecurity. And uh, the, the research also took me to Pixar. I ended up, over time, getting to know the uh, co-founder of Pixar, Ed Catmull. He's become uh, a mentor and just an amazing guy. And he says the same thing. He says he just doesn't have he doesn't have it all figured out. He's trying to figure out this next wave of Pixar's evolution. And I said to him, I said, Ed, if you haven't figured it out, I mean, you're at the top of the mountain, then nobody's going to figure it all out. And he said, that's just it. You're never there, Peter. You're never there. So these little tidbits that you are fortunate enough to pick up, put things in perspective. And it's the little surprises, I think, that are the, the joy as the writer. Yeah, nice, uh, uh, beautiful stuff, and and um, and the book's been been out for a, a good while now uh, in the publishing business, uh, almost an eternity. What it was published in twenty eleven. It's um, we're at the end of twenty sixteen. What? Um, yeah, I'm not yeah. exactly sure how to ask this, but is, is it? Am I, am I asking about impact, or am I asking about uh, what you've what? what you've gotten out of it looking back anyways, any way you want to interpret the question and I haven't really asked, I'm, I'm okay with it. I love the open-ended nature of that question, Dave, because I can just answer any question. Um, yep. And so I would say this, what, what's, what's fascinating to me is that the world continues to change to, to require yeah. people and companies to adopt more of a, a little bets mindset, a little bets approach. So when, when I was working on the book, I knew I had a feeling in my gut, like design is really important. This is going to be a, a huge way of building, and it is. Design thinking is a very influential field right now, and it's not just for product designers anymore. It's reached the C-suites of companies where it's become a really important part of strategy. But because of um, you know, this fortunate perch that I've had, I've seen inside many, many Fortune 500 companies, and they are all scrambling to not lose their talent, to not lose uh, their brand. Branding has just completely changed. Uh, innovation completely changed as a field. It's totally gone towards a user-based, bottom-up approach. Branding, same thing. You can no longer control your brand. If you're target, you have to listen to your users and be really aware of the bottom-up swells from everywhere that can affect your brand. Um, same in the talent field. Uh, companies are just terrified about this huge shift that's happened, where I call it the gen, gen entrepreneur. Everybody wants to work on their. Everybody wants to work in a cool workspace. They don't want to work in a cubicle at SAP. Yeah. You know, so all these all these forces have really caused a lot of executives to say, "What got." me here is not going to take me to the future. And they're, and they're really disoriented by this. And the only way, the only way they know how to cope with that 
rethinking business models is another example. The only way to cope with that is to shift towards much more of a, a, a mindset of making small bets and learning constantly and being really, really curious and connecting with a whole bunch of people you wouldn't have ten, you know, five years ago uh, who may be, you know, kind of, you might see them as, as kind of black sheep, people who are completely out on the edges, but this is the type of person and company who everybody needs to be able to partner with these days. So, yeah, sometimes this comes up, you know, people will say, well, we, you know, we just don't understand these millennials. A lot of it gets thrown in the millennials category of like, well, who are these people? But these are the, these are the employees or these are the people that, these are the workers of the future. And, and, and if they don't want to do any of what you're, what, what, what you're doing there, there is a, there is a bigger, there is a bigger problem. And, and, uh, you, I, I think you're so right. It's, it's, it's not just about, design thinking and much of design thinking it has many of the elements that are necessary but i think they're deeper and i think they they go to what we started talking about it's it is about the search for authenticity and meaning in life and that um and that the skills uh, yes it's about empathy but it's it's even deeper than empathy it's it uh, i uh, people sometimes use the term soft skills we i hate the term soft skills um started to call them shift skills but they're this set of skills that are that are connected with little bets and and thinking entrepreneurially and and uh, to use Sarasvati's phrase uh, effectually is one of them but um but there's a whole set of things that is really important to being successful today that is missing um from the the standard playbook and everyone's everyone in in not just in business but government and schools and everyone's struggling with this stuff. Comment? Well, it's completely true. And you know, I'm on the I'm on an advisory board for Columbia University. Yeah. And uh, th- there's no doubt that people are leaving university or college without half of the skills they need to effectively navigate this world. And everybody knows that inside these big institutions. President of Columbia understands this fully. And so the, the question is, how do, you, how do you help people develop the human emotional capacities that allow for things like resilience? Um, it's a great, great example of that. Yes. Uh, how do you develop resilience in someone? How do you, how do you help somebody to develop uh, creative confidence? How do you help... Because once they're out in the world, people are, the, the, the young 20-somethings today are developing those skills on their own. Because I, I come across them all the time, and they have their stories to share, their war stories. Um, and so, you know, with these big universities, the question is, how do you turn a, a battleship? And it's, uh, it's, it's only through a lot of pilot programs that are just, just now really getting underway to try to influence culture change from the bottom up. And uh, it's it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah, and I'm kind of looking through the looking through um, little bets. I I love your a number of your well, I, the book's a great book, and but some of the titles of chapters that um, um, uh, stick out for me are uh, like the uh, chapter problems are the new solutions. What? What is that? What's that? What's that chapter talking about? Yeah, no, thank you for calling that out to to just go a little bit deeper. 
So we're taught how to solve known problems. What happens when yeah. we don't even know what the problem is? How do we, how do yeah. we define a problem? Um, so this is a skill that an entrepreneur has to have. I mean, if we don't know the problem that our customer has and solve for that, then we're going to waste a lot of time on an idea uh, that can look great, can be perfectly analyzed, just like the initiatives that Ned Barnholt worked on at, at HP and then waste, in his case, you know, tens of millions of dollars. Yep. And this happens all the time. Yep. And it's completely inexcusable in today's world to have that happen, which is one of the things that's forcing companies to shift their mindsets. But, um, you know, if we have a bit of insight on a need, let's say, a, a customer need, then we can start to frame what we think the problem might be. Um, and I'm just trying to think of a really simple example. Starbucks had, for the first portion of its uh, existence, uh, they didn't serve lattes with non-fat milk. They only used whole milk. They only used, uh, you know, 2% milk or what have you because that was consistent with the authentic Italian coffee experience that Howard Schultz had 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 in Italy that had inspired him to try to bring that back to America. Sure. Well, the customers kept asking for nonfat lattes. So there was clearly a problem that they needed to have solved that wasn't being served, and it became so voluminous over time that they eventually, you know, the Starbucks eventually uh, surrendered and said, okay, we're going we're gonna to try this out. And I think something like half of their, half of their drinks are nonfat today. Um, but this is the story amongst, in most, in most enterprises, most yep. organizations, you have to evolve. You have to be open to adaptation. And that's all about identifying, framing, reframing, iterating, trying to discover how to solve problems in new ways. It's a constant challenge. Yep. And it's a skill set that we just don't get taught. I never got taught that until I stumbled into to the design school at Stanford. Well, and people talk about problems, you know, engineers are, you know, in engineering context, engineers are problem, quote, problem solvers. Um, but right. who finds that problem? And, and, uh, so my colleagues, Ray Price, uh, yeah, you call out Chuck House and Ray Price and the HP phenomenon in your book. And Ray wrote another book, um, about serial innovators and great serial innovators that create billions of dollars of new business for big companies are, are at first blush, they're, they're great problem finders. They, they, and they do that not through traditional market um, uh, research, but they do it informally by, by making a number of little bets on where real problems exist and then trying to figure that out and then, then ultimately scaling that up and coming up with a, a big solution to that, that problem that's worth solving. But where do you, you're exactly right. Where, where does anyone, um, Learn that just to and just to go deeper, uh, um, uh, maybe one more uh, one more time. Uh, another chapter has the title "Questions Are the New Answers." That's pretty tantalizing too. What does that mean? Oh yes, exactly. And so that that chapter really gets gets into the value of asking a lot of questions and being curious and getting out of the office. And I mean, the, the amazing thing that to me is that. We, we have a structure of workplace where you just you sit in an office and you, you, you know, but the problems are out, outside. The, yep. the, 
the, the opportunities are all outside the, the four walls of the office, and, and yet we, we just are completely incented to be sitting inside. Um, so how do you shift towards a more of an ex, you know, a much more, much more of a, of a curious mindset? And, and like I say, I mean, the people who I've had the, the privilege to get to know through all this work who are running major companies uh, and, and very senior at these, they, they, they all harp on the importance of getting out curiosity becoming much more externally focused in today's economy. And that's a big shift. I mean, there, there are a lot of people who are very well networked inside their own companies that realize, holy cow, I've got to get really well networked outside my company uh, because that's where, that's where the magic happens. You have people like Beth Comstock at GE, who's now the head of, of growth and innovation for GE, who spent years just pounding the pavement, going out every night to meet young entrepreneurial people, people she wouldn't come across at GE and I mean, it was every night she went to another event, uh, and she has one of the richest networks of anybody I've come across. And what it allows her to do is really have a lot of vision for where things are going. She has so many inputs, so many insights about what's going on in the world that uh, she can she can see where things are going much sooner than her colleagues. I mean, I think she's seen by most people is one of the most innovative executives in the fortune 500 and she also has just a bunch of cool friends uh, <laughs> sure. who are everyone from artists to entrepreneurs to to people who are longtime time years. so yep. that's, that's great stuff great stories and let's uh let's take another break and after the break maybe we can talk a little bit about what you've been up to lately some of the little bets you've been making that have led to uh, parliament inc how about that sounds good all right. This is Big Beacon Radio with uh, our special guest, Peter Sims. In the next segment, um, we're going to do exactly that. We're going to talk about uh, what uh, Peter's doing today and how he got there. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call one 866 472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. And our final segment is sponsored by Big Beacon's Educational Innovators Working Group, EIWG. Join EIWG. Uh, this fall to help develop leaders, change accelerators, and shift, don't call them soft skills, the needed for effective transformation and change in higher education today. Watch bigbeacon.org for details or write to me, Dave Goldberg, at deg at bigbeacon.org to find out more. 
And so we're rejoined in the segment by Peter Sims, and we were, we've been talking about um, his writing. With the last segment, we were talking about his book, Little Bets. And, and Peter, um, since uh, the writing of Little Bets, you, it looks like you've, you've had your fingers in a number of pies. I, uh, in, in doing research for the program, I saw something called blacksheep.org, B-L-K-S-H-P.org. I saw... Um, uh, Silicon Guild of, of authors uh, in uh, Silicon Valley and thought leaders, and and then I saw your work in um, the, as as CEO in uh, Parliament. So, wh- what's your journey been like since uh, the the writing of uh, Little Bets, and the, and how have you been led to what you're doing today? Yeah, so definitely made some little bets after after the book came out and did. Uh did some lecturing and was on GE's Innovation Advisory Board and things of that nature. So I kind of had my foot in the, the larger company world and then uh, had a, was part of a big community of, of authors uh, who are new economy authors like Dan Pink and Tom yep. Rath, Susan Cain. Um, that was became the basis for what you mentioned, Silicon Guild. And we really wanted to change publishing because it can be such a frustrating industry. And so we did some experimentation, and eventually uh, I partnered with Tom Rath. Tom is the author of StrengthsFinder 2.0, so he's yes. the most humble uh, author of 7 million books you'd ever encounter. <laughs> uh, and just a wonderful guy, great collaborator, and we have a small publishing arm of a company that became Parliament because while publishing is not exactly an easy business to generate a, a really good business model around, it's just longer conversation. We can do something that's much better for authors in the traditional route, but, um, but it's just not ever going to be a, a great uh, moneymaker, if you will. And what, what we could do, though, with Parliament is have a small publishing arm and then also have a membership model with executives who would become uh, our friends, people who wanted to know what our next book were gonna, was going to be, uh, people like Beth Comstock or people who sure. are leading talent for their company. Uh, so we have two major groups within Parliament. They're all members of Parliament. Uh, one group is a group of people driving growth for their companies or innovation. Uh, another group is the future of work group, so people who are driving the, the talent side of their businesses. Yes. And we have you know everyone from LinkedIn to BlackRock, Salesforce, uh, as part of Parliament. And the goal is, with this entity, is to get a, just a terrific ensemble of people who, uh, there are no assholes, so who, who can we find who are some of the leading change makers in their field and invite them into our, uh, into our community and, and mix them with authors who have uh, leading insight and mix them also with, you mentioned black sheep. We have uh, in our community a host of just true entrepreneurs and innovators who are at the cutting edge of their of their fields and their domains, and the executives really want to be able to be in relationship and work with those people as well. So they do any number of things: collaborations, joint ventures, uh, all types of uh, of learning together out of Parliament. And it's all supported by a model that uh, the the Fortune 500 companies pay us for. And uh, it's a year old, but it's been a lot of fun, and we have a really good foundation and. You know, our goal is just to uh, to continue to drive whether it's initiatives like 
a lot of companies are trying to shift their approach to diversity and inclusion today. So we can have uh, some of the leading uh, people in that field band together inside Parliament, LinkedIn, Pat Waters, who's driving, uh, how do you drive sense of belonging inside companies with, with a company like BlackRock in that case, which is an unusual choice uh, for diversity and inclusion uh, in some ways, but is one of the more active uh, advocates for really shifting uh, the conversation there and shifting a bunch of practices inside their company. And they're all experimenting. They're all making tons of small bets and they need to learn from each other quickly to speed up their their velocity of change. Uh, so that's what we help them do, and other forms in the future could be new ventures that come out of Parliament. But our mission is just to make the world more human, and uh, we're we're building it one small bet at a time. Yeah, it's so interesting, and and um, and and of course, there's a lot of um, at that. At that level, you've got a lot. Of, you've got a fair amount of money and power and things. Uh, and in many ways, we try to do some of the same things with Big Beacon, but we're we're down a gone down in the weeds a few levels, trying to work with people who are trying to make um, transformative changes in schools. And but the but the needs are sound to me to be exactly the same. The there's this dot connecting component of of getting um, the no assholes in in the same virtual or real room together. Uh, there's a sense of vision about things are changing and align. there's kind of a values alignment around where the world's headed. Um, but then, but, but then it, then the, how do we, the, what is it that parliament does? Uh, you know, there's some, there's some tough sp- spots in that of, uh, okay, you've got people working inside their own organizations to make change, but this, this sharing component and, and there's a skills component. How do you how do you how do you yeah. lead this kind of change? It's a really hard problem to lead. And what are what are some of the principles of change? Uh, little bets is one of them. But what are the others? Uh, and then what are the under underlying skills that help people be successful at this? Seem to me to be the other pieces. So, what, how do you? Change. Yeah. How do you? How do you? How do you? What 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 things have you figured out so far? What things are still um, obstacles? Yet any, accomplishing any meaningful change inside larger organizations is always extremely difficult. And so there's the, there's the context within a company that's going to present its own challenges, and then there's, the, then there's just the context of the world that's happening around it. You know, where, where is the best talent going, for example? Yeah. Um, so what, what we bet on are people who are not necessarily the CEO, CEO but just at maybe one level below that, Yep. who are proven to be really open, really curious, yep. um, really collaborative people, and yep. people who, you know, they're, they are changemakers. They are the, often the black sheep within their company. Um, they are the, you know, the, they're the one who's, you know, just trying to shake the tree. And they, those, those people, we've learned, feel lonely because, <laughs> for understandable reasons, but they, yes. they really value being in community with people where they can sit down over a meal and, and share the results of their experiments or the worst stories that they're wrestling with and, and, and find ways to form joint ventures and partnerships quite quickly. I mean, we've had a whole bunch of those come out in just the first year. And so how do you think, not in terms of old power, which is like traditional hierarchical 
yep. uh, management, but in terms of new power, which is increasingly a network-centric view of power, is yep. really what, what we're focused on. And so what is that new power structure, uh, new power organization, what does that look like? We are not a vertical company at Parliament. We are a horizontal company. Sure. We're a place where SAP and Salesforce hang out, which is very unusual. Um, but they have to. And it's a world where um, old adversaries are becoming learning partners, thought partners, uh, or venture partners. Not always, but sometimes. And um, I think the last point I'd make in addition to those is that, you know, you need to find ways to bring to the table in a situation like that a human element that just completely reduces any sense of the old power structure in the room. So what we do is we bring artists in. And we artists share about their process and just about their work. And yep. we find that a lot of these big deal people are just captivated by the artists. Um, and then they don't think as they're experiencing a, a gathering of parliament about oh, that person's more powerful than me or has a bigger paycheck than me. They just think about um, what it is that motivates them in a more, in a deeper way, you know, back to authentic leadership, yeah. to be doing their job every day. And I'd say what surprised me to some extent, to a large extent even, is that I'm constantly amazed by how much of a difference people want to make. All these big, big deal people, they just want to make a difference in the world, you know? And I don't think they're their jobs afford them that opportunity uh, every day. And so they need, uh, but they need, they need supportive places to go to, to nurture that desire. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more than I, I think one of the key shift skills is about vulnerability and authenticity and how to address that and how do you get at it yeah, for different audiences is, um, is challenging, but I, I like the approach of um, the artist journey as a way to to think differently. So we just have we don't have a, a, a lot of uh, time left, and I want to give you a, a um, uh, we've got maybe uh, another minute or so. Um, uh, what do you see for the uh, for the future of uh, Parliament over the? It's what you've been going at it about a year. What what do you see in the um, um, foreseeable future coming down the road. So I think for Parliament, you know, we're building we're building an ecosystem, an ecosystem driven company that can have uh, at its core a set of values and a culture that's like maybe the Pixar culture in some ways. Yep. Um, that can really help uh, to drive a whole different way of thinking about, um, you know, about about power structures and 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 to have that then lead to meaningful initiatives and ventures. And I'm most excited, I'd say, about this diversity and inclusion one right now because it's kind of come to the fore, and it surprised many of us how, how much momentum there is for a little movement inside Fortune 500 companies to make them more diverse and inclusive. Um, but my final comment would just be to, to try to share what has been most meaningful for those who have helped me, which is that we all have an enormous amount of creativity and, uh, and humanity inside of us, and... It's really hard to unlock that. In a lot of contexts, we feel stuck. Um, but, you know, one small step after the other, we can, we can get closer to that. And one, you know, person after another, we can, we can find collaborators. Yeah. 
And just uh, so if people want to, we've just got a few seconds left, but uh, how can people uh, find out more about your work and get in touch with you? Just uh, I have a website, simple website, petersims.com, 1M. Thanks so much for, for asking that. And, and thanks, Peter, for uh, being on the show. It's been great having you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for all you're doing, Dave. You've been listening to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education. A special th- thanks to our guest, uh, Peter Sims, and, and uh, I'm Dave Goldberg. And help, help us transform higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. Join us next week, same time, same channel, in our quest to transform higher education. Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.